Hey, 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 Who fans, and welcome to the Big Blue Box Podcast. My name's Gary. My name's Adam. And welcome to episode 360. Yeah. cup of tea then oh i do love a good cuppa a nice brew eh mm. welcome everyone to episode 360 another week of the big blue box podcast we hope you are keeping well and safe and that you've managed to do something doctor who, doctor who. related related <laughs> beat always tries to catch me out there he does i beat you <laughs> i face you yeah next week you can phase me try and phase <laughs> yeah, yeah. okay Yes, welcome back to another week, and uh, I'm not looking forward to the news, I'll be honest with you. We've got to get through a couple of news stories, which is going to <laughs> no. be hard, but so it's a sad yeah. week. It's a definitely a sad week for Doctor Who, but you know what we're like here, dear listener, on the uh, the Big Blue Box podcast. We we don't dwell on that sad stuff for long. We we prefer to think of the good times and all the memories and the smiles and laughter and, and all that stuff, so it'll be sad, but at the same time, uh, a bit of a celebration as well. Uh, after losing a couple of people this week. And then we are on to our review of the 11th Doctor story, The Snowmen, just to cool you all down just a wee bit. Mm -hmm. And also a bit of a hidden agenda there because we're running out of stories. So we need to get it done. We need to get it done. Yeah. It means new stories. We've got plenty of classic who, but you mean new new who, which I know a lot of people hate that phrase, but that's what you mean, isn't it? We're right. I can't believe this. We've nearly reviewed everything from the Eccleston series onwards, haven't we? We have, yes. And uh, a bit of context around the 11th Doctor stories. This is the penultimate one for us. So we've got this one to do, and then we've got the other Christmas special, A Christmas Carol. Oh, we haven't done that. Nope. All right. And then that'll be the very last Matt Smith one. That's all done. Wow. And then in a few weeks' time, we've got our last David Tennant story to do as well, which is... uh, the uh, finale to series four, The Stolen Earth Journey's End. So and the, then, that's the Davros one, is it? Yes. And then after we've done that, that is literally all of Modern Who done and reviewed by the Big Blue Box. My word. Yeah. So then we'd just be purely classic Who from there onwards. Indeed, yeah. I mean, it's only taken us since uh, 2014 <laughs> to, uh, to get through all that. But yeah, yeah. that would be all done. And then we're going to wrap everything up for Modern Who. That makes me mm. sad in a way. Mm. Makes me sad. Yeah, it's weird to think that because you always in your head think, you know, oh, there's so much out there. It's weird to think we've, we've done it all. Uh, you, you were saying to me the other week as well that we might throw in a few um, curveballs as well. Now that once we've got the newer series out of the way we might throw in the odd curveball like uh, Canine and Company or something like that just to, just to break it up a bit. Although... So I still feel like that's part of the classic Who series. But yeah, well, maybe the cushion movies. I don't know. We may throw a few specials in there just to break things up a bit. But yeah, sure, it'll be strange, wouldn't it, when we've finished all the new stuff? And I kind of miss it, actually, because it's, um, it's been great revisiting some of, of the 
Well, you say new who, but then you think actually, you know, the, the Eccleston and Tennant stuff is already, you know, so many years old. So, mm. you know, at what point does it become classic who? I, I mean, I, I consider it all part of the same series, obviously, but you know what I mean, to try and define it like... Um, but it's been really cool going back and watching some of that stuff and, and gaining an appreciation of, you know, certain eras or certain doctors or, you know, like I with Tennant, I know you love Tennant. I like Tennant, but he's not my favourite, but I've really sort of um, appreciated him as we've watched certain episodes of his and thought, blimmin' heck, actually, you know, when he turned it on, he was actually really, really good um, mm. and stuff like that. So, yes, it will be strange not to see those more recent doctors, but, you yeah. know, we can watch them on our own time. We don't have to watch them just to re- review them. We can... You know, we can put them on in our own spare time. Exactly, yeah. We're not beholden to <laughs> no. to a, a schedule for our podcast, which is a weird way of doing things because we, yeah, it feels like, uh, with the exception of newer, like very new Doctor Who, like Jodie's era that's mm. come out, uh, haven't really, um, um, well, that's not true. I mean, there's been a few times where I've reached for a, for a tenant story or a Matt Smith story when we've not had to review something, but for the most part, we've watched everything for the sake of the review, right? So, yeah, pretty yeah. much, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we haven't done a commentary one for a while, we did a couple of uh, audio commentaries over reps, we haven't done that for a while, so we could maybe do yeah. a bit of that, um, or we could just review them all again from the beginning and say, just start again, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, get caught in a time loop. Yes, let's start with Rose, eh? Mm-hmm. Episode number one. Mm-hmm. there's an idea and do it in uh in broadcast order as well so just go through each series I was each thinking doctor. That. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that'd be mad that would be mad yeah but yes anyway as we uh as we wistfully review the the, the more modern stories away into completion uh we are going to get onto the uh the snowmen later but before that it's been a quiet week for me dude i've not done anything dr Huey not had time a bit busy with other stuff have you done anything dr Huey? no i haven't actually um in fact it, i did just remember as the music was playing in there that i mean I, I suppose you could call this dr Huey, but i went to forbidden planet on sunday for the first time in like forever london because you know there was a time i was in there pretty much every week hmm. um the london because it's yeah the london one oh, yeah. yeah my my uncle's visiting from the states and um he wanted to go to a Rolling Stones shop that's popped up in Carnaby Street. And uh, he's like, come on, come with me. Let's go up to London for the day. I'm like, yeah, cool. So we went up to London and, uh, you know, Carnaby Street, it's only a good 20-minute walk to FP. <laughs> so I dragged him there. But he, he loved it, actually. Um, yeah, we had a really good, apart from the fact it was so hot in there the he couldn't stay in there for more than five minutes. It was baking in there. Um, but yeah, it was good. Uh, yeah, it's the first time I've been to FP in a while. Um, I didn't buy anything Doctor Who. It, it won't surprise you to hear because there were, there really wasn't very much Who stuff in there. I'm hoping Russell will sort this out when he, you know, when the new series starts. Let's get the merch back because um, it was a bit pitiful, to be honest. Uh, now, obviously, no Cabinet of Woe. That's long gone. That's just a distant memory. The Cabinet um, of Woe. The Cabinet oh, of Woe memories. is no more. <laughs> Um, but there was, yeah, yeah, but it was weird because they had a couple of, so it was like a sort of scattered arrangement of TARDIS badges, a couple of t-shirts and a few mugs and that's pretty much it. Um, but just to the, just to the left of the mugs, just randomly, there was this old, it's about four or five of them, uh, Rose figure with K9. I mean, that's donkey's uh-huh. years old. Where the hell have they dug them up from? You know, I don't know if you remember it. It's like a sort of thin pack with a Rose figure and K9. And I'm the old logo must on it. Be, 
you know the old yeah it's like the orange one yeah no it's before that it's like oh, the really? blue and pinky oh color course, one yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. the sort of old looks like the sort of dot two movie logo i think yeah i don't know where they've dug them up from so they're obviously like really scraping the barrel of stuff to put out <laughs> uh, waiting on. for some new merch to come in but uh, people keep message messaging me about the new B&M sets that are coming as well and I'm just like you know I'm just I've actually reached the limit with that blimmin shop I can't I don't care how good they are I don't think I can face trying to find the new sets and they do sound like they're going to be good but I'm just, you know, I'm just going to be I, I think I'm going to be away that month anyway um, so I'm, I'm just not going to bother I mean it's, I probably uh, will because you know what I'm like but god the thought of having to go in there and, and track those down when they come out um, they're apparently due any time now, you know, end of July, August, mm-hmm. we're supposed to be getting another wave of sets. Um, but I popped into being there the other day. It's such a hellhole. It is, well, not all of them. I, my local, I can only talk about the one I go to. My local is just, oh, screaming kids, people, just, everyone, you know, it just mm-hmm. looks like it's been ransacked. Mm-hmm. stuff every I can't bear the thought of having to keep going in there to try and find the new dot two sets and it was depressing me really because as as much as the the shelf in FP was desolate you know I would much rather see all the stuff go to FP because uh, I was walking around B&M thinking why do these why does this awful shop get these lovely sets I cannot get my head around <laughs> it at all you know anyway so we've got yeah. all that misery to the 40 but apart from a quick visit to FP I haven't really had a chance to do anything really um yeah nothing dot two related for me this this week yeah same dude yeah quiet yeah. quiet one a quiet yeah. one i've not been to fp in ages as well you know london one i think the last one i went to wasn't even in london i think we were in i can't remember coventry is there one in coventry i think so uh, i think so yeah yeah i think that was the last one i went into not that big that one but it's not too bad i bought a load of comics i think from there uh but yeah the london one's a strange old place isn't it because um it's obviously the, uh, it, uh, it's like the flagship store, isn't it, for FP? It's their big old, mm. you know, two-story. They normally hold the most amount of stock and everything. But it's a strange experience going in there because sometimes you'll go in there and you'll come out with nothing and it feels like you've looked at nothing and there's just nothing mm. going on. Other times you'll go in there and it's like, where's all the money? Where's I need all the monies. Can I need to buy hmm. loads of things? So, yeah, it's a strange old place that one. But yeah, we 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 haven't done a, a a big blue box London trip, have we? For ages, we need to do that. No, no. Well, that's, yeah, yeah it's the first time I've been up to London um, shopping for a while. I've done a few sort of BFIs and a few meetups for drinks, but I haven't actually been out shopping in London for for a while. Actually, but, yeah, yeah, there was still some yeah. other good stuff they made. There was lots of Star Wars and and uh, other good stuff. They got a lot of Marvel things, like the figures in their cabinet, you know, like the big, not the cabinet of woe, the big cabinets as you mm-hmm. walk in on the left, on or the, the left. glass cabinets. Yeah. They had some awesome figures in there, and some of them look really realistic, like they'd got one of Nebula from Guardians of the Galaxy. It's like, it was like a mini uh, Karen Gillan. It was wicked. I said, the likeness, how do they do it, you know? Uh, so they had, they had some other good stuff in there, just not much who, <laughs> sadly. Just not much, mate, in the old no. who department. Oh, that's nothing usual used to that for a few years now dude but anyway glad you had a cool time there yes because it was a it was a certain person's birthday recently well, i didn't come want on. to mention well, it well come on <laughs> you know i mean it's you know, so yesterday but yeah <laughs> little old you eh? Oh. 
still rocking he's, he's still looking great who fans if you've not seen him on his youtube vids recently or anything he still looks at least 10 years younger than what he <laughs> well i tell is. i'm 10 people yeah. i'm 10 years younger yeah as long as i can get away with it i'll keep telling it just keep going mate. yeah just knock a year yeah. off every year yeah exactly yeah as, as the older you get the presence in cards definitely decrease i think i got about Actually, no, I was going to say I got about three. I probably got about ten cards. Um, because people just do it on Facebook now, don't they? Happy birthday. There's no need for cards. Yeah, but I got a couple yeah. of cards. And um, I didn't really... I got a couple of presents like chocolates and stuff. But my parents have bought me a cool Doctor Who book. And I think this will be the only Doctor Who present I get. Well, it will be because my birthday's gone now. But they bought me the... It's called, I think it's called the Doctor Who Adventures. It's the one... It's a big book by David Howe. And it's all about the... Doctor Who Virgin Adventures, and uh, I've wanted that book for ages. Oh, yeah, do you know the one I yeah, mean? Yeah. And I think it's got all the like the covers in it, and um, yeah, I haven't got it yet because my parents are on holiday, and they're like, "Oh, we'll give it to you. It's arrived. We know we can see it's arrived, and we'll give it to you when we get back." And I'm like, "Yes, I really want it." Because uh, yeah, that that's um, that's something I've been wanting for quite a while. That book mm, looks rather good. Yes, but that'll be the only Doctor Who related present that I got this year. Yes. Well, it's not like Christmas, is it? Because with Christmas, you normally get somebody inevitably gets you the annual that's on sale in WH Smith here in the UK for, I don't know, Mm -hmm. a pound or something like that. Some Doctor Who socks and probably... The block calendar. I always ask for the block calendar. I'm like, get me that block calendar. (laughs) Yeah, my sister normally gets me that, the block calendar. I love it. It's it's sort of, yeah. (laughs) Nice. Anyway... After we've waffled on for too long there, we've mm-hmm. had a very light week with Doctor Who. So shall we land and do these bits of news, bud? I don't really want to, but yes, we should. Go on. <clears throat> ah, rightio. First bit of news. We have lost, unfortunately, David Warner. David Warner has passed away, sadly, yeah. at the age <clears throat> of 80. And uh, uh, such a huge, both of the guys that we're going to talk about, such long careers, huge. Like this, David Warner's been in the game for, or was in the game, should I say, sadly, for just over 60 years uh, as a, a TV and film actor. And has been in some amazing things. Like normally when we talk about, when we have to talk about people that have left us, we normally have a look through their back filmography and um, and see what they've been in and so on. And uh, yeah, just so many things that you forget about that they they acted in before we were alive, dude. Um, so mm-hmm. so David Warner, uh, of course, uh, connected to Doctor Who very much with Big Finish, but also appeared in uh, Cold War. He was very very good in that as the caretaker, um, mm-hmm. cleaner dude. He was really good in that. Had a really good relationship with uh, with Clara in in that episode. He played that beautifully. And um, Cold Ice. Yes, uh, Cold War. Cold War. Sorry, was it? Yes, oh, yeah. yeah, and um, yeah, and then you look back through and see what he's done. So much theatre work in Shakespeare, but then also um, appearing in the old Star Trek films. You know, and uh, I completely forgot that he was in those because I haven't seen them because I'm not yeah, really. Yeah, you know, as you yeah. said that, I thought Star Trek. Oh, yeah, 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 of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm not a Trekkie, so I don't really watch them mm. that often. It, I normally watch one every five years it feels like a long time so it's been ages and then as soon as i read that i was like yes of course he was in those old star trek films and then as i said loads of loads of shakespeare stuff loads of theater very much um respected within that within that scene as well and then uh 
some just again some old old things like the omen uh starred alongside yes. gregory peck in the old 70s mm. film the omen the original one and uh yeah just so many cool things so um his family put a statement out and uh and said over the past 18 months he approached his diagnosis with characteristic grace and dignity so um uh, he will be missed hugely by us his family and friends and remembered as a kind-hearted, generous, and compassionate man, partner, and father whose legacy of extraordinary work has touched the lives of so many over the years. And, uh, yeah, so he is survived by his partner, Lisa Bowman, uh, his son, Luke, and daughter-in-law, Sarah. So, uh, sad news, uh, this one, dude. Mr. Warner leaves us at the age of 80. Yeah, this sad, mate. I always forget, and don't, uh, Tron as well. He was oh, in Tron, Tron of course. Uh, yeah, I always yeah. forget he's in Tron, but of course he was a big part of that. And he did loads of Big Finish, mate. Uh, he does some absolutely fantastic audios of Big Finish. And um, yeah, it's, it's like you said, heck of a legacy that leaves behind. So very sad news. Uh, which does bring us on to some, another big loss, uh, which has just happened this morning, actually, as, we've, as, as we're sort of recording this. It's just... Um, been announced that uh, Bernard Cribbins has passed away at the age of 93. And obviously, if we were to list the amount of TV and film work that Ber- Bernard has done over those 93 years, um, we would be here for four or five hours. It'd be like one of our old podcasts that used to go on forever. So, <laughs> as you can imagine, Bernard leaves behind him a fantastic legacy of work. Uh, I think most people listening to this podcast will be remembering him as uh, Wilf or possibly Tom Campbell from the Cushion movies because they've had a resurgence recently. But yeah, he did a phenomenal amount of film and TV work over the years. Uh, Russell D. Davis has uh, given a statement and he said he loved being in Doc 2. He said, children are calling me granddad in the street. His first day was on location with Kylie Minogue. How cool is that? Mm. But all eyes, even Kylie's, are on Bernard. He turned up with a suitcase full of props just in case, including a rubber chicken. I can so see him doing that. What an actor. Um, what a wonderful actor. He once took him to TV Choice Awards and sent him up on his own to collect the award, and the entire room stood up and cheered him. That's a lovely memory, Russell says. He phoned up and said, I've got an idea. What if I attack a Dalek with a paintball gun? Okay, Bernard, it went in. I don't remember that. When did he do that? It was in the first film, right? Was it? Yeah, I can't remember, but anyway, yes, yeah. that's in there. Uh, it says uh, he loved uh, Gil, that was his wife, always heart, mentioned during every conversation we ever had, uh, a love story for the ages, so lucky to have known him. Thanks for everything, my old soldier, a legend has left the world. And oh. I think that last line uh, says it all, because hmm. uh, Bernard, yeah. But we, we, we use the word legend quite a lot these days, but I think um, you could definitely say that Bernard was worthy of that. He was a, a proper legend. Like I said, so much stuff that he's done over the years. So very, very sad and a great character. I think we can both agree. And I think we've said many times that Wilf, Wilf and Donna, uh, but, you know, Wilf was such a great character. Um, And I might, I think I'm right in saying this, the the actual character became more prominent because I think the actor who played Donna's dad died. And so they sort of brought Wilf to the forefront, I think. So, I mean, you know, so great that he got a chance to be on screen more because he was magic such a you know brought that character to life so him and donna wilf and donna absolutely fantastic pairing in dot two so very very sad news very sad news it is mate yeah extremely sad and um you almost felt like he was invincible bernard cribbins do you know yes. what i mean by that because yeah he's one of those actors that again like david warner has been 
has been acting for so long, decades and decades. And he got to that point where, when he first came into Doctor Who as Wilf, he looked quite old then, didn't he? I mean, mm, obviously, that yeah. was the point as playing somebody's granddad. You know, he had to be of a certain age and he was in his later years then. But then that was years ago in itself. And he just kept going and going and going. And you just felt, you know, he's doing conventions all the time, popping up in Who. Um, he was in Big Finish, wasn't he, for for quite a few... Was he? Yes, he's done a bit Big Finish. I was going to yeah. say he's done some Big Finish, yeah. And uh, and you just thought he's just going to go on. For I know it's ridiculous to say and to think like that, but you just thought that he was just going to go on forever as, as, as Bernard Cribbins and as Wilf. And it's just... Mm. I, I think that's the heartbreaking thing about both of these actors is that they... Up until they died, they were still working and still rocking and rolling, you know. So, mm. yeah. Well, in fact, he was filming recently with Tennant, wasn't he? He was. Um, yes. He was spotted uh, filming. In fact, I think the BBC announced it because I remember at the time when we recorded the podcast saying, being quite careful about what I said in case it was a spoiler and I, you know, didn't want to ruin anything. But I think the BBC did officially announce that Wolf was back. And so, um, he's, well, he's filmed scenes for the new upcoming special with Tennant, we're assuming they will still include them or he'll still be part of it. I can't imagine they'll, you know, I'm sure they'll keep those scenes in and they'll probably do a tribute to him. So, like you said, filming and being a part of Dot 2 right up until the very end, which is going to make those scenes even more (laughs) heart-wrenching, I feel, uh, to to watch. But I'm glad he's going to be in that that special. That's going to be, you know, still got some more of uh, Bernard to come. Yes, yeah, definitely. And... uh, and you're absolutely right, dude. An absolute legend and an, uh, a complete national treasure for us here in the mm. UK. And um, yeah, sad times to, to lose Bernard. So he was 93 when he passed and uh, and David was was 80. So uh, nothing to be to be sad about in the long term. I know it's sad with the announcement and everything, but, you know, let's have a big old smile on our face and a big old, mm-hmm. you know, because... Just a huge body of work to enjoy. Not just Doctor Who, but over the decades, loads of very, very cool stuff. So, yeah. Uh, David Warner and Bernard Cribbins then, sadly leaving us. But uh, we will see some more of Bernard in the 60th, right? As you said, so all good. Yeah, one of the specials, yeah. Yes, yeah. Okay, dude, with the news out of the way, I think it's time to get on to the review. What have we got this week? Yeah, so we're drifting back to the Matt Smith era for a Christmas special, uh, and this one's called The Snowmen. There's a man called the Doctor. He lives on a cloud in the sky, and all he does all day, every day, is to stop all the children in the world ever having bad dreams. Am I going to have the nightmare tonight? When you find something brand new in the world, something you've never seen before... What's the next thing you look for? Doctor! A grenade! The doctor doesn't help people. What's your name? Clara. What is this? I said I'd feed you. I didn't say who to. Listen to me, the snow's feeding off your thoughts. It will build an army of ice, and it will be the last day of humanity on this planet. the snowman the uh uh this was first broadcast back on christmas day on in 2012 remember that when we had a a doctor who special on christmas day yeah good times times, 2012 (laughs) then it ran for an hour 
exactly an hour. Uh, it was written by The Moth Bag, directed by Saul Metstein. I think I'm saying that right. Mm. And stars Matt Smith and Jenna Louise Coleman, as she was known back then, oh, with, yeah. uh, with a few supporting guest stars on this one. And the synopsis is thus... After losing Amy Pond and Rory Williams, the 11th Doctor has retired to Victorian England where Strax, Jenny Flints and Vastra assist him. The Doctor eventually meets Clara Oswald and takes a liking to the young barmaid who leads a double life as a governess. At the Mm. same time, a sinister plot is unfolding. Snowmen are randomly appearing around London, growing in size and power. All they need to take over the world is some human DNA in ice crystal form. And the frozen body of a drowned governess can give them just that. Uh, that's a good synopsis, that one. Remember when um, it is. we reviewed, I think it was the last Torchwood story. And um, oh yeah, the synopsis was just like, uh, Torchwood are doing this thing. And we were like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jack walks in a room and yes. discovers a thing. All right. <laughs> okay. yeah. sounds really exciting so at least a decent synopsis with that one mm. um, uh, so yeah okay Christmas special dude in the middle of summer <laughs> let's do it what do you reckon mm-hmm. to this one yeah um, I, I quite like the snowmen uh, I've always thought this is a fairly nice um, Christmas special uh, I, I do love this idea of like the doctor retreating and just parking the TARDIS up on a cloud and, and I, there's a magical feel to it I mean Moffat scripts often get criticised, talked of as being fairy tale like. I, I don't see it as a negative personally. I I put this on and Murray's music drifts in and the production looks good and you know I think Moffat's got some lovely in brackets fairy tale ideas and for me it works. I I think it's a nice episode um, and I think there's lots of funny moments in it that I still found funny. I think the thing is with Moffat's humour for me for the most part it lands, not always but. I normally find Moffat's scripts quite sharp and funny, like the stuff with Strax and the Doctor just bounce off each other really well. So I think it's a good story. I will say, well, no, I think I enjoy this story. Is it a good story? Well, watching it again last night, I still enjoyed it. But I have to say, as watching it with a critique, it isn't quite as good as I remembered in terms of the actual story. It's, it's a little, you know, the storyline's a little bit thin. It does work. Um, and I, I still found it a really nice, beautiful watch, actually. It's a beautiful looking episode. And I particularly like uh, this version of Clara, surprisingly, as well. I think this, she works really well as the Victorian Clara. So there's lots of things I like about it. I do enjoy it. I think it's one of the better matt smith christmas specials because i don't think i mean he had a couple of real clangers that were that weren't good at all um but i think this is one of the better ones the storyline not quite as strong as i remembered it but um i still found it a very enjoyable watch uh when i watched it last night so yeah it's, it's a good one it's it's a decent episode and um yeah i think there's a lot of nice and fun things to be found in it hmm. what do you reckon okay yeah I don't mind this one. <laughs> I don't not mind. Not a massive it. fan. Just not, not a massive fan. Yeah. Okay. I don't mind it. I think, like so many Matt Smith stories, I like him in it. Yeah. I think he's yeah. he's very good as usual. Yeah. There's just something about it. I, in my notes here, I've just got it tries really, really hard, 
um, to be a, a great Doctor Who story, but just mm-hmm. falls short a little bit. Yeah, yes, yeah. Because there's something about... Um, what's the best way to describe it? There's, there's something about the, the, the storyline, the plot, which seems to gather steam and picks up nicely as you go through the episode. But then um, it doesn't really deliver... I guess what I'm trying to say is the ending doesn't really do justice to the bulk of the story. Yeah. And, you know, because it's slightly longer than your average runtime, it's up to an hour. You kind of, um, you kind of get to that point where you're like, okay, I, I can feel like something's building up. Something's happening. The great intelligence is um, going to be spectacularly defeated. You know, this is the, this is a special after all for Doctor Who and it's going to be a big epic sort of ending, but it kind of just feels, it felt like it was just an average mid series kind of episode. This could have quite nicely fit into the 45 minutes mid series kind of thing. So yeah. I think it's got some great moments. Um, so some really good moments in it. And like I said, I, I love Matt Smith's doctor as usual and Jenna, Jenna Coleman. She's, she's okay. She's okay in it. She's not too bad. Um, yeah, it's, so it's kind of flat for me, but with some good okay, moments. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I mean, I, I yeah, just sort of balance that up a bit. Yeah, because I, I, I do enjoy it. I don't want, I want, don't want this to come across that I, because I, I, I obviously enjoyed it more than you if you found it a bit flat. And as I said, I, I would quite happily sit and watch this one anytime. You know, I think it's one of those stories where there's so many good moments or nice moments in it. Um, for me, that sort of outweighs the. I agree with you about the ending. I find the ending a bit messy, and you know the whole wrap up feels a bit underwhelming. Um, you know, there there are definitely things where I think it could have been improved on. Like for example, Richard E. Grant. Um, he's a great actor. I really like Richard E. Grant, but he's very flat in this, and I'm not sure if that's down to the director because I would say for the most part, it's beautifully directed. The the episode itself looks fantastic you know the production values are brilliant um but yeah something about richard's performance it, it just i don't know you're sort of waiting for him to give a little bit more uh and I, I think he's trying to underplay it. he's trying not to be like the pantomime villain but i think he's perhaps slightly underplaying it so when you get an actor like richard grant in it i just expected slightly more from him or from the character maybe uh, you know he's not particularly in it that much You've got Ian McKellen doing the voice of the Great Intelligence, which is great, but you kind of want to see him. It's really weird because his voice is so distinctive. You're aware that it's Richard, you know, mm-hmm. that it's Ian McKellen, and uh, so it's weird not to see him. Um, but I think that's the thing. It's, there's a lot of good build up to this, and there's a lot of nice scenes that build up to the ending. And I think maybe it is just that fact that it kind of, to be honest, by the time we get to the end, I feel like Moffat's lost you know, uh, interest in sort of like the main plot thread. All he really wants to do is get back to Clara and it, it becomes very much about Clara and the mysterious girl. And, and I do like those threads, you know, I love at the time when this went out, I love the fact we, we were seeing a, a different version of the, you know, that he threw the Oswin in, didn't he, in Asylum of the Daleks. And that was a surprise. Uh, back when the mothball could keep secrets, uh, he threw her in, and that, and everyone was like, "Oh my god, it's the new companion! She's in, what's she doing in this episode?" And then we got this Victorian version of her, and we're all wondering what's going on in the mothball's mind. Like, hang on, another Clara, and then Doctor realizes 
that there's another Clara out there that he's got to find. So there's a really cool little mystery there, which I like. Um, I don't know if I like how it turned out, but it, you know what I mean? It was there at the time and it was a cool thing to have. Um, so I like all that stuff and I kind of get why it goes back to that at the end, but it does slightly take away from, it's kind of like, yeah, okay, would you know, the intelligence is defeated. That's the end of that. Let's get back to Clara. And it's sort of, yeah, it does feel like a quick wrap up. So I think that leaves the episode feeling a bit flat in many ways. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's my thought basically mm. <laughs> in a nutshell. It's um some, some lovely scenes and there was some really cool stuff around uh, Vasta and, and Strax and, and Jenny. Those guys are, yeah, so they're fun. I like the Pater- Paternoster gang. How do you say it? Paternoster gang. gang, yeah. Yeah, those guys are cool characters. I like yeah. them. Yeah, and I think uh, I think Dan Starkey is Strax. I think he comes under some scrutiny sometimes with with Who fans. A lot of people say that he's too. What's the? He's kind of too on the nose, I suppose, too mm. slapsticky and silly humour for for that kind of thing. But I I disagree. I think he's such a such an, a really just when whenever the story needs a little bit of comic relief you know a little bit of humor he's just there and he's so funny uh, i love dan starkey it, um i think it's because um and maybe this is a contradiction of what we've said previously about the Santarans. i'm not sure mm. but we've often said with a lot of the modern stories that they've diluted them a little bit and they're not these feared sort of war war hungry um mm. uh, uh species that we've we, they were in the classic years and they they're a bit more comedic now and they just you know they're the mix taken out of them a little bit rather than i don't know but i don't know i just i just really love the which is why i was so gutted when they just canned off the whole spin-off idea of those three doing their own thing because i can totally see that as a spin-off actually absolutely mate yeah that's, that's a good cool. spin-off that never happened yeah because mm, let's, let's oh, I don't want to do that actually what? yeah so on one hand you've got the idea of something like class and on the other hand ah. you've got the paternosters I would have I know which one I would have gone with but yeah um, yeah so yeah I don't know I, I feel like the story sort of goes up and down as you go through it you have these flat moments but then there's a really funny bit with Strax and then there's a bit of action and there's a flat moment and then there'll be a cool thing with Vastra and, and, and Jenny and whatnot. So yeah, I love those guys. What did you think to the story as a whole? Because I think for casual fans, there would have been a bit of head scratching with this. I don't know about you, but the whole thing around mm-hmm. the human DNA thing with the ice crystals and the great intelligence itself, that's not really easily explained, is it? Even if you're a, you know, a, a Doctor Who fan, if somebody said, so what, where does this come from? What's the whole concept with this, this snow globe talking thing, the great intelligence, you know? So I think for yeah. fans of who the story was, was fairly decent, but I think for casual fans, I would have been a bit lost. Possibly. mate. I mean, I, I think going back to when this aired and I first watched it, I remember liking, I was like, when they said, when they named the great intelligence, that was a bit of a, yeah, oh, cool. That's a nice, you know, the Moffat's got that in there. I like that. Um, I don't think I really got what they were trying to do when I first watched this and watching it again last night, it, it's it is there on the screen if you really pay attention, but it's not you know it's, it's a little unclear I think at times what what's actually happening with the great intelligence because I kept thinking so what you know they're sort of waiting for this body under the ice and it, it's not a hundred percent clear I don't think so that's what I mean I think the storyline itself 
is a little weak in that sense. Um, but for me, it still holds together quite well in that it's got some... It's fun to watch for the most part. I think that's the thing. The storyline may be not so strong, but I th- I think over the, for the majority of the episode, it's fun. It's a fun episode. I mean, you're talking about Strax. I think he brings a lot of good humour to it. I do get the whole thing with the Sontarans and why people would think he's too comedic and uh, that it makes the Sontarans look stupid. I get that. But I, I don't know. For me, as, as a one-off character, I think he works. I think, he, you know, he's the Sontarans you know, are this race that, you know, there's so many of them. I think you can allow one of them to be a little bit stupid like Strax, you know. It's just, just, I think you can allow it as a one-off character. So I don't mind that so much. And I think the stuff with him and the Doctor is really funny. I I mean, those scenes at the start, I I still think they're really Mm -hmm. enjoyable. You know, when he he tells him to get the memory worm and he doesn't wear the gloves and all that and he's calling (laughs) Clara boy. And, you know, I think that, you know, I think those two, well, I think all of those guys just bounce off each other really well in those scenes. So, yeah, storyline, I think, could have been stronger. But for me, it doesn't really detract from the fact that I still find it, for the most part, you know, a fun watch. Indeedy, yes, and uh, the the humour with those that scene is so funny. Well, the memory worm, the memory worm thing, yeah. I would love to see some outtakes of that, especially when Richard mm. E. Grant's grappling with it in the end. He must have been <laughs> killing himself. I mean, that know, was a bit panto at the end, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very. Yeah. <laughs> but just holding mm. that blimmin' horrible thing must have been. I wouldn't be able to keep a straight face for no, no. filming with that. But anyway, yeah. Mm. There's a really good. Uh, big finish story with with strax and and somebody i can't remember what it was uh it's like a haunted house kind of story that strax stars in i think it might have been a uh uh yeah going lightfoot story it was yeah it was those two and strax together oh i yes i remember that yeah Yeah, and that weirdly works very well that because it had the same kind of thing where you've got particularly in this story where the doctor's feeling very down and because mm. of the loss of Amy and, and Rory and so on, he's feeling very uh, insular and very doesn't want to get involved in anything. So, uh, which is that course that scene was actually very cool when Vastra was like, "Ah, so you're getting back into the swing mm. of this saving the world kind of thing," and you could, there's a like cheeky little smile on his face, and you know he's, he wants to get back into it. But so up to that point, the Doctor was very uh, sort of disengaged and quite flat, and that's kind of how. Um, Jago and Lightfoot are in that story where they're, you know, they're, they're, they're the polar opposite to Strax's character. So that dynamic works very well. And um, yeah, I just love his voice, Dan Stark's voice as Strax. Every now and then he just mm-hmm. pops up and, you know, I think someone says, I know what would work well, you know, in this situation. He's like, a grenade. Grenade. And, then, you know, <laughs> and you think, oh God, here we go. So yeah, I, I really liked the, di- the dynamic between Strax and the Doctor, and also Strax and Vastra and, and Jenny, which is why I think that spin-off would have worked so well. Because you've got a Vastra who's very serious a lot of the time. She's obviously the leader of that little gang, so she's very much in charge. And Jenny is, outside of their wife and wife dynamic, uh, she's kind of second in command, I would say. Mm-hmm. So she's doing her thing as well. And then you've just got this bumbling idiot who just wants to blow everything up and... Yeah, so I love it. That part of it made me smile, and I really enjoyed watching that part of it. So, they're um, three good characters, aren't they? That's they the are. thing when you watch them. Um, 
Because is this only... I forget. I always forget when they got introduced, but they're still fairly new characters at this point, aren't they? Is this only the second episode they're in? Or maybe, I don't know, I lose track, but they are quite defined as characters. They're, I think they're strong enough that the three of them, if they had had a spin-off, um, would have worked quite well, I think. Yes, yeah. And we did have some... Um, we did have a couple of uh, of little prequel uh, oh, yeah, stories that right. went out prior to this, didn't we? So that also mm. set up the the characters with those guys. So that was very much mm. the, the Paternoster and... Uh, and uh, and the doctor and so on. So they they help that helped as well build and establish them as characters and whatnot. And uh, I think they were quite cool those little those little prequels. They were only I'd forgotten about those. Yeah, yeah, they're only um, like very short five minute little things, but they were very cool. And you had Mark Gattis uh, narrating those and stuff. Yeah, it was they were fun. They were cool. So they they work well with Matt's doctor as well, don't they? They're the kind of friends that you can imagine his doctor having do you know what i mean they, yes. they kind of work as a unit and, and i like the fact that they're looking out for the doctor and kind of they've got his back haven't they mm-hmm. you know that that's that's the bit of that you know that's another bit of the story that i really like is that you know that I, I like this idea that the doctor's gone into retreat after what happened to amy and rory which i think he would you know those those three were a great dynamic so um on and off screen so i think it's right that the doctor would retreat and just i'm not doing this anymore i've had enough and Matt plays that brilliantly once again. Just he just you know really brings home that sort of sadness inside the, the Doctor and everything. Um, and I love the fact he's gone and parked the TARDIS up on a cloud and he's got this invisible ladder and stuff. It's it's a really simple but beautiful idea. Um, but the other side of it that I love is that we know, and this is the other thing that Matt does brilliantly. This sort of almost childlike. We know that he cannot resist getting involved and. <laughs> This is the other wonderful mm. side of Matt's Doctor and how he plays it is this sort of glint that he has in his eye that he's trying so hard not to get embroidered back into adventures and stuff. He's like, no, I'm not doing it. But you can see from his face that he just can't resist it. And um, Matt plays those two sides of the Doctor just brilliantly. And again, I think that's what brings the episode up for me. To you know, despite the storyline perhaps being a bit weak in places, I think once again Matt Smith just delivers just such a, a rounded performance and and such an engaging performance that for me it carries the story along brilliantly. He does actually, yeah. And we've seen we've seen that many many times with Matt Smith's yes. era. You know, where the story may not have been the strongest, and and you can't really. You can't really expect every single story to be 10 out of 10 amazing all the time, of mm. course. But some of those other stories where, you know, the the script is a little bit not quite as sharp as some of the others and the it feels a little bit paddy and so on. However, Matt Smith's performance is just so enthralling. You're just glued to him the whole time. Mm. It, he carries it. There's no better way to say it. Sometimes he just carries a whole a whole story just on his own shoulders, which is amazing, really, because... You would think that some of the other doctors would be more suited to that because of their experience being older and etc. But he's just as a as a young, especially at this point in his career, he's still still pretty young, wasn't he? he was uh, yeah, can't remember exactly, but you know, fairly young. So it's amazing when you think about that. And I'm not saying that this story was particularly weak; it was just a bit flat for me. But in terms mm. of Matt Smith's performance, and yeah, and that little glint in his eye is what really makes it. You know, that little. Uh, that little smile is just everything 
you know, mm. because it was a decent enough transition, I think, where we came out of the Ponds era. I think the best way to put it. And I think this is the first the first story within Matt Smith's era where Amy doesn't appear at all in the entire episode. This is the first oh, time, right. yeah, that she's never yeah. appeared. So you kind of get the transition, which is okay. He's still, like we said, down in the dumps, not really feeling it. But then as the story goes on and more things happen, and his fascination with Clara's character, with Jenna, uh, Jenna Coleman's character, mm. as that progresses and, and heats up as well, uh, he just, yeah, you, you because of his performance, you also get swept along with it as well. And then you want him to to get back in the saddle and, and start doing mm-hmm. stuff. So, And uh, when he does, it's such a great moment. Oh, it's it's so like, oh, I knew you were giving, yeah. dude. There's no way you could resist. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. What did you think to... So we've spoken about Matt Smith. And mm-hmm. so Jenna Coleman, she was okay in this. She wasn't she wasn't too bad. But we do we do kickstart this kind of flirty thing going on, don't we, that mm. we, we have on and off throughout Who that we've seen with River Song and, you know, some... So what do you think to that then? Because I think her performance was okay. But one scene that wasn't too bad, it's kind of funny, I guess, is when uh, she she tells him to, to climb up the ladder because essentially she doesn't want him looking up her skirt. The doctor had mm. no intention of doing that, I think, anyway. But then when he starts climbing up the ladder, she has a good old look. And, you know, it's a little bit... Maybe that was one for the mums and dads watching. I don't mm. know. But it was, eh, I've seen worse. I, I, I do, but I do think that's where Moffat lets himself down. Because as, as I said earlier, for the most part, Moffat's humour lands for me. And I find his dialogue um, to be, for the most part, pretty sharp, pretty good. But then there are moments like that and the kiss. And there's another line where I just feel like Moffat just can't help himself. You know, he's a bit, yeah. So it's, it, there's, there is worse. I mean, I think the Amy kissing the doctor in series five, you know, when she, all that, I think that was worse, but mm. yeah, I could have done without that. It, it definitely brought the story down a, a point in my rating. Cause I was like, Oh, Moffat, you, because I think up to this point, I like this dynamic between the doctor and Clara. I like the fact he's giving her these little tests to see if she's like could possibly be the new companion because he really, although he doesn't want to admit it, desperately wants some to to find someone to to travel with him. So I love all the stuff like the umbrella. You know when he gives her the umbrella, and she says, "You're tall enough to reach that." You only gave me the umbrella to see if I knew what it was for. And I thought, I, you know, that's again when cool. Moffat's at his yeah. best, thinking of little ideas like that. So we had a kiss. The dynamic then, between we had a kiss Sorry? in this, didn't we? We did. We did have a kiss in this. Yeah, and again, I didn't I didn't think that was necessary because I'm liking their dynamic and and I, for me, I'm not I'm not Jenna's biggest fan. I'm not Clara's biggest fan at all. I for them, I just find her very unevenly written and stuff. But for me, I actually really I quite liked her performance in this. I you know you were saying she was okay. I, I get the feeling I, th- I thought she was better than than you did. But I, I thought she worked quite well as this Victorian character, and I loved all the stuff like you know, the doctor trying to test her and, and also when she discovers the TARDIS and you, you, you think she's going to run into it, but she doesn't, she runs down the stairs. You think, Oh my God, you just assume she's going to go inside, but she doesn't. Um, they hold that off so they can do the TARDIS console reveal, which I'd forgotten about because at the time that was a new console. So I think that that probably would have been as like an OMG moment. I can't remember now, but at the time that would have been a big reveal, that new console. Cause 
before that. It was that sort of orangey colour one, wasn't it? So there's, yeah, I, I think the relationship was was going well. I think they work well together. It does, yeah. Once we get into the flirty and, you know, a little bit, it gets a little bit um, sexualised, the jokes. For me, I think that's where Moffat lets himself down. And I definitely could have done without that. Yeah. But up until yeah. that point, I thought it was quite fun. And I think it's quite nice, the ending when she's like, run, you clever boy, and it all links up to the souffle girl and... There's a really lovely moment when she walks into the TARDIS for the first time and she says, uh, where's the kitchen? And Matt's like, well, that's a first. And she also says that the Doctor's smaller on the outside. Again, it's, that's a, a great example of Moffat, like, twi- you know, turning something around to make it funny. So, you know, smaller on the outside rather than bigger on the inside. Again, such a simple idea, but funny and Matt's reaction to it. So there's a lot of nice, good moments like that between the two of them. Yes. Um, but if you yeah. take away the the odd one or two little bits towards the end, I think, would, would have been a lot better. Yes. No, I completely agree with that, dude. Yeah, and what did you think to Jenna Coleman's performance then? Because this is early days for Clara, obviously. Um, did you... Um, you mentioned that she's been unevenly written, which is um, completely yeah, accurate, think- but did you think she was good in this? I think she's more rounded, don't you? Because they, she's sort of got a role. She's got, you know, she's this nanny to the kids, which is a great. She's, you know, she's great in those scenes where she's sort of like they're like do the voice, and she's like, what this one, governor? You know what I mean? I, I thought those scenes were lovely, and uh, her character just feels very rounded. You know, she's a Victorian um, woman. She's obviously quite intelligent. She's obviously up for adventure, and. Um, and she's, yeah, it's a strong character, I feel like. Whereas as, as we go on and meet the other versions of Clara, she's all over the place. She's a teacher one week, um, a nanny the next. You know, it's, it's just whatever the story needed, she's it. Whereas this one, I just feel like the character's quite defined and I think she plays it quite well. Mm, yeah. Although it pains me to say it because I do, you know, <laughs> not, not a biggest fan. But yeah, she's, yeah, I think she's, she does play it well. Yes, I think... Yeah, I think she, there are certainly times where we thought, um, you know, because of her character being unwritten, uh, unwritten, because of her character being written unevenly up and down, a bit like Capaldi, you know, his character, his his doctor yeah, was yeah. a bit up and down and stuff. It kind of, I guess if you were, say if you were a new, a, a new Doctor Who fan and you were watching all the stories, you know, doing a modern marathon sort of thing. And you got to this point, you would probably think, uh, oh, okay, Clara seems cool, you know, like Jenna Coleman and so on. So I think at this point in in modern Who's run, especially Matt Smith's run, I, I did quite like her in this. I think she had a really good relationship with the kids that she was looking out for as the when she was the Baroness character. Yeah. yeah and when yeah. she was the barmaid, she was sort of sassy enough and it, you know, yeah. a little bit, you know, a little bit, uh, a little bit sassy in that respect. It was only those little bits, and you mentioned it as well, those little flirty bits with the kissing and, the, and all that sort of thing. It, it kind of sets you off on the, right, on the wrong foot, I guess, because you think, are we going to go down the Doctor and Rose road again with these two? Mm. Is it going to be all pouty and yeah, all that stuff that we had with Rose and Tenant's Doctor? So, But fortunately, it didn't go that far. It was just a little bit of, okay, and then I think the moth bag reserves all that stuff for the River Song storyline and all that oh stuff, yeah you know so. <laughs> i was gonna say i think yeah. that's what's slightly frustrating about it as well because you feel like at this point 
the Moff, Moffat should have known better because you've got the whole Rose and Doctor thing. And then RTD, I think, kind of realised after Martha that once he brought Donna in, he'd got to change the dynamic up. And then we was she was like absolutely having none of it, you know. You're not mating with me, Spaceman. It's like the, the relationship was just total friendship and platonic and that worked so much better for me and also that was what was needed after all the sort of love interests that had come before which to be honest I've never really been particularly comfortable with any of it really I just I just don't like this idea I don't think we need a love interest between the Doctor companion it just for me the Doctor Donna relationship is perfect and how it should be so I think the mothball with Amy uh, again, I don't think it really, for me, I didn't really like the scenes where she was falling over the doctor. In certain ways it worked, like, you know, um, the whole wedding day thing, but they should have nipped it in the bud a lot quicker than they did. And, and the mothball didn't do that. He kind of carried it all the way through, but he did, did get it right in the end. You know, we got to see the, that we got to see that Amy and Rory really were in love and he kind of redeemed himself a bit. Yes. So then when yeah. we get to Clara, I feel like he should have thought, right, we've done the whole In Love with the Doctor thing. It's been done quite a lot since the show returned. We need to get back to basics a bit. And for him to sort of still be writing this slightly flirty stuff with the kiss as well. And when I say the Moffat can't help himself, I mean, he does it He does it a few times, you know. Um, you think about Capaldi when he first meets Missy and she goes up and plants a big old smacker on him. And I remember groaning at that thinking, oh, they... Why, it don't always have to kiss Moffat, you know? It's not, like, part of the thing. So, yeah, there are times when I find it frustrating that he has to put in stuff like that or mm -hmm. felt the need to do it. I think he's a best... He, he is a good writer. I, I really do champion Moffat. I think he comes in for a lot of stick, but personally, for the most part, I, I really like Moffat's writing. I don't think he always got it right, but it does frustrate me when he does stuff like that, mm -hmm. you know, because I just feel like... He needs to rein it in a little bit sometimes. No, agreed. Yeah. Mm. Uh, before we um, finish off, just talking about a few of the other characters, mm. um, what did you think to the great intelligence in this then? Because a classic uh, alien monster villain, you know, insert correct uh, name here that we've seen a few times now throughout, you know, lots of uh, over many years. And um, like I said at the beginning, I, I was okay with this. It wasn't too bad. You know, the whole concept of, um, uh, what was the character name, Richard uh, E. Grant's character, Simeon, Dr. Simeon, the concept Simeon, yeah. of his kind of thoughts and stuff, um, powering the great intelligence, you, you know, and all the while him thinking that it was some independent being that he was communicating with. But in reality, it was just his own thoughts that were, um, sort of powering that and so on. And like mm. I said, I, I think there would have been a little bit of head scratching from new Doctor Who fans or, or casual fans. So, um, But what did you think to the great intelligence being back in this story then? Did you think they made the most of of that as a as a monster, as a villain in Doctor Who? Because that was the, the thing that added to my sort of flatness, really. My flat mm. feeling on it was just a little bit, not no big epic showdown with this thing. It was just a... You know, there was a there's a couple of cool scenes like when the Doctor's whacking it with his walking stick and and he's figuring <laughs> yeah. it all out. He's doing his Sherlock Holmes yes. moment, which is very very cool. And yeah. you know, he's deciphering what's going on, and that's all cool. But towards the end, it was just a bit of a yeah, not much really. What did you think to the the GI, as it says on the business card? 
Yeah, I, I think it's... I love the fact they got name-checked and I do think it's a great thing for the Moffat to bring back. Um, but a bit like Richard E. Grant, a bit like Serena McKellen, the Great Intelligence fit into the same thing of being a bit underused, I think. Um, and the Snowmen as well. I think that's such a great concept to... Uh, this is one of the things I do love about Moffat. He will take a simple, you know, everyday thing. Well, not not that we get snow every day, but you know what I mean? Something that we can encounter in real life and he will make it scary. And I think the snowmen, if I was a kid, I'd be loving that, that you've got these snowmen and they, t- they, t- they open their mouth and they've got these fangs and they look really scary. But they're not utilised very well. You know, you could have really ramped that up and made them... Like you could have had them on, you know, an army of them sort of coming at you, which we sort of get, but it feels just a little bit, you know, it's, it's so fleeting that you'd sort of blink and miss it. But you could have really utilised them and the great intelligence and particularly Richard E. Grant as well. I feel that's the biggest letdown, actually. I'm kind of OK with the great intelligence, to be honest with you, because it, they are just that sort of entity and that it's fine that they're name checked and that's what they are. OK, that's that's kind of works for me but I think when you've got such a good actor as Richard D. Grant you've got to give him a bit more meat on the bones and I said his performance earlier was flat and I think it is but I also feel like he wasn't given enough you know stuff to do so yeah mm-hmm. so for me the sort of great intelligence I can kind of live with I think it's cool that the name checked and I don't really have a problem with how they were used but I think um, the snowmen themselves could have been used better the scary snowmen um and also Richard E. Grant as a character, Dr. Simeon, could have really been built up as a big villain that, that needed defeated, whereas he is just yeah taken out way too easily. And he does come yeah. back, doesn't he? He's yeah. in the name of the Doctor, isn't he? Uh, yes. And I'm trying yeah. to work... Yeah, but how does that... Because <laughs> we reviewed that not that long ago, and I can't remember why he turns up or how he's there or what, what that's all about. I can't, I'll have to go back and rewatch that because I really can't work out how that fits into how this ended and how he suddenly turns back up. I don't know. Is it is the great intelligence taken over him or something? I can't remember. Mm, yeah, let's go back and watch that one, dude. Yeah, well, it wasn't that long ago we watched it, but I just can't remember. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, I think, um, do, you feel like, do you feel like they were a wasted opportunity then, the, the great intelligence? A little bit, yeah. I felt yeah. like... Um, but I think that that's a choice that needed to be made, though, in, in the writing and whatnot, because... Um, mm. You you either concentrate and focus on the the doctor side of things and his reluctance to to get back into help saving the world and losing Amy Rory and you know all that stuff. You either focus on that and then Clara coming back into it and forming that relationship, or you focus on the bad guys and the villains and you make them the focus and then you you don't focus too much on the other stuff. So um, it it was clear that. Uh, it was clear that um, that, that the moth bag focused on on the doctor side of things. Yeah, you know. So yeah, you're right. Just because of that very reason, um, the 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 doctor Simeon and the great intelligence side of things were just then. I wouldn't say sidelined, but just yeah, um, underused a tad because of that. Um, but that's the thing with Moffat, mate, and I, I do stick up for his writing a lot, but one thing that does frustrate me about him is I often feel like he comes up with great ideas on villains but doesn't quite know what to do with them, and a prime example of that is the Smilers in uh, The Beast Below. You know, Remember how cool and scary they looked? And I'll never forget that moment in the episode where they they come out of their booths and you thought, oh, my God, 
what's going to happen and then they just drop to the floor and I th- that's like a prime example of what Moffat does he comes up with these great things but they don't seem to do anything and it's kind of the same with the snowmen in this yep. you've got the snowflakes with the scary <laughs> mouthin flying around you know you've got all this stuff that's really cool but nothing happens like the snowmen don't really do anything other than go rah you know roar at people they don't actually do anything and you know um what's the other thing the silence are a bit like that weren't they they kept popping up and they were really cool looking really scary but they didn't really do anything um so it's one of my frustrations with moffitt's mm. writing that he comes up with great concepts of villains but um often they don't get utilized as well as they could indeed yeah and uh yeah so when um when the great intelligence appeared on trenzalore with the whisper men do you remember those Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think the great intelligence, um, he, he took the form of Dr. Simeon, I think. Uh, okay. so, so Dr. Simeon had died at, in this episode at the end. Mm. So when he turns up at Trenzalore for that storyline, uh, he just takes on his form, yeah. That's it. Yeah. I thought it was something like that. Yeah, just yeah. so he can communicate with the Doctor and so on. He needs a form, you know, to, to take on. So, um, But that's just... I wouldn't say it's a downside, but that's one of the things that comes as part and parcel of Moffat's writing is that you do have to go and re-educate yourself a little bit on some of those storylines because it's all Mm. very thready and characters popping back up. And we've spoken about that loads of times, you know, listen, you'll know what we what we mean by that. Sometimes the Moffat storylines and those arcs that spread over a series or, you know, a couple of series, you do have to... um, yeah, you do have to go and sort of reread stuff <laughs> and rewatch stuff mm. to get yourself clued up on it. It's not like the the, the more simplistic, um, you know, Russell T. Davis era that we had. The moth bag yeah. certainly liked his multiple threads and carryovers and everything. So it's yeah. a double edged sword, that isn't it? Because mm. it is at the time when you're watching this air, like you said, for a sort of any casual viewer or even just somebody who's, you know not really sort of following every episode it's not a kind of um they are standalone stories but yeah you do have to kind of follow threads during the moth era it's a double-edged sword because that's very rewarding on a rewatch like now now that we're all these years later we can go back and watch it from the start right to the end that works great it's like oh my god he's popping up again and oh that from that story back in series five is now being concluded in the special you know, in series seven, it's uh, so it it's really rewarding in a rewatch sense, but yeah, quite frustrating yeah. at the time, and especially and quite alienating for a casual viewer or anyone that's sort of dipping into who you know. It's yeah, it's a real double edged sword that I don't know how I feel about it because I kind of love it going back and watching it now, and there's so much to take from the Moffat era that that does work over a long period of time. But yeah, when you're watching this back in the day. It's mm-hmm. quite hard to keep track. <laughs> so Indeed. I don't know. Yeah. Don't know how I feel about that. No, you're absolutely right. Though it's rewarding from that sense. Like if you, mm. if you, if you're doing a, a uh, like a Matt Smith marathon, and you get to the end, and you're like, wow, that was some of that was very cool. Or like you said, if you rewatch, you know, it's a, it's all good. But um, uh, what there were some really cool things that I, I liked in this in terms of um, production and and, and that mm. kind of thing. Uh, but before I do, I agree with you on one more thing as well, and that is the mm. the imagery that those snowmen, uh, you know, that sort of horror esque, you know, horror film kind of grinning snowmen with the evil faces. 
Yeah, because uh, they use them quite a lot with the with the promos and stuff leading up to it, and you thought they were going to be in it a lot more. Mm. So they were underused as well. I think they could have done with a bit more, a bit more menace. They just ended up being, I don't know, just ornaments, you know, throughout some of the set pieces and whatnot. So, um, but I, I get it from a production point of view. Very difficult to make them, you know, anything where you've got to make something animate like water or snow or anything like that. It's very, very tricky and expensive to do. Mm. So, yeah, I can see why they're a bit static and are just a little bit, you know. A little bit underused, but I like the face, like the horror style face. They were cool. I thought they were in it a lot more. It's weird watching this yesterday. That they're, they're not in it much at all, are they? Uh, you know, there's, there's the intro and that, but yeah, I, I really thought the snowmen were in it more than they they actually are. Mm-hmm. But you're probably right from a production point of view. It's probably expensive, but the yeah. episode itself looks great, though. For the most part, I don't think. If I was being really picky, I would say there's one effect which looked a bit dated, which was um, when Simeon gets that snow thing out and he points it towards the house. Yeah, yeah, bit dodgy. Yeah. But for the most part, I thought the episode actually stood up really well in terms of production, like the snow and the house, the locations. Uh, maybe the creature on the stairs is dated a little bit. You know, the one that's going. Um, <laughs> what's it saying? Not pieces of eight. It's a uh, Mister Punch or whatever. That glass creature probably oh, maybe looks a bit dated, ice. but not too bad. Oh yeah, who's a pretty? Who's a? It was pr- a really boring. I yeah, can't remember. Something but, like that. Yeah, yeah, but that that you know, for the most part, the episode still looks gorgeous. I thought all the stuff on the TARDIS and the cloud and the sets and um, mm-hmm. the, the costumes as well, like they look great. I mean, Matt, I love Matt's outfit in this. He really suits that, especially early on in the episode. You know, he's got like this, almost like the that that crinkly hat, which reminds yeah. me of the second Doctor hat, which I think he only wears like in Power of the Daleks or something, but that crinkly hat that he's got on and the glasses, the little funny little round. Mm. Matt really sells that look. I mean, it really suits him. And uh, and it suits this sort of um, period that his doctor's going through in terms of this reclusive, almost hobo. Mm-hmm. Um, Victor. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a great change up of costume for him. If you think how different that is to the, you know, the tweed jacket and bow tie that we got, you know, a few series before. Yes. Um, this yeah. is so different, but it really suits Matt. He, he really suits it. And, mate, how good is that scene? And I'd forgotten this till I rewatched it yesterday. When he, he realises he's actually, he's put the tie on without oh, thinking yeah. about it. <laughs> and he sees himself in the mirror. Because at first I'm like, what's he looking at? He's like, I've, I've put it on. And I, I just, again, this is Matt just being brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's almost emotional. And it's, it's silly. It's just a bow tie, but it's just his reaction to it, that he's put it on without realising, because he's back in the swing of things. It's a lovely moment, that. And Matt really sells it. Yeah, yeah. and somebody else says that, don't they? Somebody says it's cool, unrelated to what he's observing in the mirror. But he Mm. thinks they're talking to him, and he's like, yes, bow ties are cool. It's a lovely scene, that, yeah. You're right, and again, isn't that, that's a good example of Moffat's dialogue. She's like, no, 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 I'm talking about the room. It's getting cooler or something. It's like, oh, yeah. But again, it's just clever writing, and I love it. It's a great scene. <laughs> it's very cool, yeah. yeah. Bow ties are cool. Are cool, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, there's not really many other characters, are there? We've got the guy who's the... Um, he's like the... I think his name's Captain Latimer. He's the guy that's hired Clara or, you know, Clara's her alternate life. Is there looking after? I think that's him. He was okay. He sort of looks bemused a lot of the time. 
and um, it's really funny actually because he <laughs> so tom ward, <laughs> tom yeah, ward yeah he was a in uh, silent witness for years as a, as a major character right now i'm a bit late to the party but um me and the other half of really got into Silent Witness the last few years. So we've been going back and watching all the older ones. And the he's in it for, like, years. He's, he's in quite a lot of series, this guy, Tom Ward. So, yeah, I don't know, randomly, because he, he leaves the series, I thought, oh, I have never seen him after that. And he's quite good in Silent Witness. You know, he's a good character, good performance. I thought, whatever happened to him? Because he's one of those actors you assume would go on to do good things. And I don't think I've seen him in anything since. And so I was surprised to see his name come up on wiki under doctor who and i'm like tom ward's in doctor who? oh i see so he left silent witness and he was in doctor who i don't remember that so it's really weird so i watch him in this and he's so forgettable <laughs> it's just like i can't believe it's the same actor he's a he's normal he's quite a good actor or at least he was quite good in silent witness and yeah he's he's just so bland in it and he may as well not be in it you Oof. know it's it's yeah. really shocking like i always forget he's even in it um but yeah, so Tom Ward, he should go back to Silent Witness. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. They, they, they're bringing back old characters now. It's got to that stage in the series. They've been going so long, they're bringing back all, all the old characters. So maybe yeah. he's waiting in the wings for the phone call. Maybe. Yeah. But yeah, it's a rubbish character, mate. Totally <laughs> forgettable. He is forgettable, yeah, for sure. Sorry, Tom. Yeah. I like in Silent Witness, but yeah, didn't get much from you in this. <laughs> what about, um, so we've spoken about the principal cast fairly um, fairly deep, but what about um, uh, Jenny and Vastra then? Because those two really good team together. So we spoke about Dra- yeah. uh, Drax, Strax, obviously, um, but Jenny and and Vastra are very good, and um, yeah, they're just a real likable team. They're just two very likable characters, which makes that little trio work very well. Like one of the reasons mm. why it works very well. But uh, yeah, I think um, Neve McIntosh and Catherine uh, Stewart very very cool together. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I I like them a lot, and um, I do like the scene when they've got Clara and they're sort of having a chat with her, and she phones the doctor and says she said the word pond. And pond. Uh, but of course, again, this is a great bit. I'm, I'm going to praise Moffat again because this, when he gets it right, he gets it right. So she's talking about the pond, obviously being frozen over, but he throws that as being the password of Amy Pond. You know, just again, just lovely little bit of writing there from Moffat. So but that's a cool scene and I think yeah, Jenny and Vastra just um I just love the fact they're in the background doing all this stuff, helping the doctor and they feel like a proper team. And you know, I think they're good characters. And good performances from both. Very, very strong. Yes, very strong. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else on your notes, buddy? Oh uh, one thing I did like, I think you mentioned it already. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like the TARDIS up in the clouds, you know, in this the circular staircase. That. Really, really very visually it looked awesome, that. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember being shocked the first time I watched this when Clara does get taken out of the TARDIS and dies. Mm. Uh, I remember, because you're not expecting it, because he's lost Amy and Rory, and he's only just... I mean, that's a good scene, actually. He's, like, just getting back in the swing, isn't it? He's like, this is the first day of whatever, and he's really, like, hyped up, and like, I'm back, and then Clara gets snatched and dies. Like, it's... I, I wasn't expecting it at the time, or I thought, oh, she's going to live because they're not going to kill her off, are they? Because you know, but they do, and it sets off a whole new mystery and storyline. But yeah, love the love the visuals um, on that. I thought it was very very cool. Uh, very other cool. things on my notes, mate. Uh, just yeah, just that the I love the battered Tardis. I wish I like the look of it. You know, when it lands in 
Dr. Syrian's uh, laboratory. It's all battered and it just looks a bit weathered. I think it it really suits it and they should have kept it looking a bit more like that because it, it goes back to being spotless and clean um, pretty soon after this. And I just, I just like the TARDIS looking a bit more weathered. I mean, it does go through quite a bit. You'd expect it to have a few marks on it, uh, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and... The music I thought was gorgeous in this. Murray Gold, for me, getting it just right. He, it's he, he's taken it down a notch. You know, sometimes Moff, uh, Murray's music can be bombastic and overbearing, and I felt in this it was just beautiful uh, music from Murray in this one. He holds off on the Doctor's theme. We do get it, but it's only in it once, as far as I'm aware. Uh, which is kind of near the end. We get the dun dun dun. You know, you, you're so. kind of waiting for it. But you know, Amy's theme is gorgeous, isn't it? Du, 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 du. It's beautiful. So Murray's music, great. And uh, the bass theme. I, I believe this was the first time we got the new theme tune, which has never been released. By the way, Murray, come on, what are you doing? Uh, you know, this this bassy version of the theme tune. Mm, yeah. Um, which I kind of like it. You know, it's a million times better than the screechy cat. Uh, version that he did for Capaldi. I, this is a much better version of the theme. Um, and I quite like the intro with Matt's face just slightly appearing, which is a nice callback to cool. the yeah. classic series. So, yeah, it's interesting to hear that theme again. Uh, I'm sure I had one more thing on my notes. Let me just quickly look. Killer Snowflakes. Oh, Dr. Sherlock. Yeah, the Sherlock Holmes scene. I just thought that was quite funny. It's just lovely to see Matt... Um, playing Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> it's just a, I just thought it was a nice idea, <laughs> clearly a little in-joke from Moffat. Was he writing Sherlock at this point? I don't know, but um, that was funny. And I just love the way he keeps whacking the, you know, the great intelligence, the big bowl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just something about the way Matt played that scene um, I thought was great. He's Dr. Amazing, Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he is. He's just so good with the humour, but so he's great with the humour, but even better with the emotion. I think Matt is just, he's such an all-rounder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, but I don't think I've got anything else, uh, really. Okay, yeah, I've got nothing else, dude. Um, I did put Murray's music equals good, thumbs up. So, yeah, no yes, complaints just there. Think, yeah, Murray's music is lovely in this, really, really mm-hmm. nice. I think there was a soundtrack. I don't know why didn't he put the theme on it though? Strange, anyway. Mm. Okay, dude, I think it's you to go first, mate, for scores. Well, oh. I'm going to be honest. Before I rewatched this yesterday, I was thinking this was an eight out of ten. It's always it's always a um, special that I'm happy to watch, and it's one that I enjoy watching it again yesterday. Still have those feelings for it, but with a sort of critical eye and, and taking out a few things, I, I think I'm going to go down a notch. It's not quite an eight. I think it's a seven point five, and mainly because of the slightly underwhelming ending but it's i don't know it's it's just, what are you giving it you're going to be lower aren't you i want to give it an eight because i do like it i am going to give it an eight i'm going to give it an eight you're going to go with an eight right okay i am because i do like this one okay. 7.5 is too low i think yeah go on okay give it an eight. um well i'm going to give this a seven okay that's fine i'm happy with that that's good you're right you're right with that <laughs> well i think because if you were a six or 45 something and then probably you know i have to sort of try and gauge where you know where your level is because for me 7.5 is when something's good but not that great mm-hmm. <laughs> whereas an eight's normally pretty good so i'm just trying to gauge where we are with our scores but yeah sure sure yeah. so um, so for me it's a seven because i really wanted to give it a high i was i was looking at 8.5 nines 
in terms of this should be up there because it's a it's a special. It's got mm. it's slightly more runtime. There's a good bunch of characters in it, good classic monster back and all that stuff. But like I said at the beginning, it just feels like it's it's trying really hard to hit all the marks, but it's just I don't know what it is. It's just falling falling short a little bit. And to be honest with you, if this wasn't for Matt Smith and his performance, this probably would have been a five point five or a six for me. Yeah. I will agree with that. I will agree with that. Matt definitely brings this up, <laughs> which is so often the case, isn't it? I think a lot of times when we've reviewed a Matt episode, we say this, if it wasn't for him, the score would be mm-hmm. definitely lower. Yeah. Indeedy. Yep. Alrighty then. So a seven from me and an eight from him. What did our list? I think we had quite a few over on the Twitter. Uh, mm-hmm. So let's go down to Rick Moran from the Dwas. Short and sweet from Rick says me, three out of ten purely for Oof. the excellent Jenna Coleman. Oh Rick. Rick, Rick, not a fan of this one. Rick, not feeling it. Uh, James James K three four eight says literally rewatched this for the first time in years a few weeks ago. It's decent, but it's just that's nothing much to it. Jenna puts in a good performance, as does Richard E. Grant, but the great intelligence feels a bit of a lackluster villain. Clara's clearly the focus here. Matt and Strax are fun, and the TARDIS cloud is a lovely visual, but doesn't really make any sense. You knows, smiling face, as said, it's just decent, uh, like most of the Christmas specials. A six out of ten. Ooh, okay. Thank you very much. James Will Sanger says, It's a story that has unfortunately never grown on me. The flirting and sexual tension between the Doctor and Clara is awful, and Clara's connection with the Doctor is forced. Richard E. Grant is uncharacteristically wooden, playing a character with undeveloped motivations. A three out of ten. Oh, gosh. Will. Will not liking this either. Uh, TBLW, Toko BL Hoovian, says an underrated Christmas special. Everyone is great, but Moffat making Clara and the Doctor sexualise is where I take a point away. Mm. Uh, I do love the comedy, especially from Strax. Victorian Clara should have been the companion for the rest of Smith's time. And Capaldi's, I give this a 9 out of 10 or a 9. A 9. Nice. Thank you very much. Our writer Jordan Shortman says, This is my favourite of the Matt Smith Christmas episodes, but none of them are very good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jenna is much more interesting version of Clara here than we ever got when she was a proper companion. And Matt Smith is good, but I'm still not a fan of the 11th Doctor. Good, but not great. We've got a sort Jordan now, mate. Oh, still on. not a fan of the 11th Doctor. He's the best Doctor. Got to come give him Jordan. a good sort out when we see him at the BFI. Yeah. We're going to have to beat you up a little bit, Jordan, I think. Come see at the BFI. Yeah. A couple of slaps, right? Chippy T <laughs> says, really enjoyed this revisit. Lovely comic touches with Strax and the Doctor. Clara on cheeky slash naughty duties. Uh, REG uh, enjoying his role and nicely realised snowmen. Good fun, but let down a little by the ending being rain slash tears slash whatever. Uh, Matt Smith, what a great doctor. A 7.5 from me. Cool. Cool. Sam Dooley says, I love the time period. Gold's music shines. That mm-hmm. shot into the TARDIS interior is so gorgeous. The great intelligence is a solid villain. It's only let down by this version of Clara being much more fun than normal Clara. And it makes me want that version of her character more. An 8 out yes. of 10. An 8, yeah. Another 8. eight. Yes. Uh, I think I know what you mean. There was a shot, wasn't there? Uh, it was this special effect where it was like a single camera shot that followed, um, uh, was it Clara? I think from the outside of the TARDIS, right the way through the doors and then into the console room. It was very That's cool. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it looked awesome, that. Uh, and then lastly on Twitter, Owen says, 
the whole aesthetic of this story is brilliant. Eleven suits a Victorian setting uh, and a more mopey doctor is a goldmine. The story sets up Clara's return with ease and solidifies the Paternoster gang. I'm always amazed Ian McKellen is uh, uh, is in this, though. <laughs> uh, it gives mm-hmm. it a 7.5. Mm-hmm. And uh, over on the Facebook, we had a few there. So Toby Coleman says, another story from the 11th Doctor's time that I enjoy. I think the Victorian Clara is entertaining and the great intelligence is creepy. Making snow scary is such a Moffat thing to do. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Eight out of ten frostbitten fingers. (laughs) (laughs) Martin Arnold says, despite the post-pond moping and the uh, egregious self-pity, I actually rather like this. It does the Christmas thing very well and is one of the better Moffat-era specials. The great intelligence was nicely menacing. I'd give it a solid eight. Nothing really more to say, just a nice episode yes thank you very much and lastly charlie turner says not too bad looking back on it actually as bland as big actor richard e grant's tone of voice is at times but also (laughs) kind of creepy at the same time nice return for the great intelligence though and i hope to get the music for this story for my birthday this year as hard as it is to find on cd i believe Ah. eight out of ten pretty good looking back on it not gonna lie thank you very much charlie some decent scores there mixed in with some really low ones. We had a three, yeah. I think. And yeah, so on average, then let's even it out. It's probably a six if we average it I out. I would say. Yeah. 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 Okie dokie. Well, thank you very much, guys, for sending in your, your thoughts and your reviews. As always, we very much appreciate that. As we like to know what you guys are thinking. What have we got next week, bud? Next week, yeah, we'll be back to Miracle Day, Torchwood. And uh, we're on day, well, we're on episode, sorry, six day, yeah. thinking back to um, Children of Earth. We're yeah. on uh, episode six, and this one's called The Middlemen. The Middlemen. The Middlemen. Hmm. Who are the Middlemen then? So those guys in the masks, are right. they coming back or not? Yeah. <laughs> What's happened to those guys? Oh, yeah. What's happened to them? So a bit of Torchwood. I meant to say that to you on week. last week's, like, what has happened to them? Oh, the cult. Yeah, the the mask, they, they intrigued yeah. me and they've not been in it since. Anyway, the middlemen. The middlemen indeed, yes. Alrighty. Well, I think that's a good place there to wrap it for episode 360, bud. Alrighty. Thank you, thank you for coming back to the Big Blue Box and listening to another episode. That was 360. As Adam said, next week we are back to Torchwood to get through our reviews of Miracle Day and it's episode 6, this one called The Middlemen. So get your DVDs or Blu-rays fired up or get on the old uh, iPlayer and get that watched because we'll be asking for your thoughts and scores out of 10 as always. Until then, make sure you are following or subscribing to this podcast in your preferred app of choice. Just search for The Big Blue Box, you'll find us on there, or head over to bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk forward slash listen. There'll be a bunch of links there. You can hop over to your uh, your preferred app or network and give us a, a listen so you won't miss an episode when it lands every single Friday. You can also listen online in your browser. Just go to bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk. All the apps are on there to listen to for free, plus all of the very cool articles and reviews and whatnot from our writing team we had a couple of cool ones this week jordan's carried on with his great adventure virgin books which are very cool and maria went back through the big finish catalogue and reviews reviewed a really cool martha jones story 
Also, check out our free Discord server. There's a link on the website. Hop in there with other Who fans and chat Who. Plus, we're on the socials. Links on the website. Go and do all the things. Also, don't forget to remember to check out Adam's channel over on YouTube. It is, of course, The Geek's Handbag. Yes, just released a new video last week. Go and check it out, along with all the others. Yes. Hundreds of videos on there. And also on all the socials, of course. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All of them. <laughs> but not TikTok. Go and do them. Until next week. on that TikTok. <laughs> My name's Gary. <laughs> My name's Adam. And remember, it's...